And we are live. Welcome to Game Breakers, everyone. Your host, Edwin Duodo here. Once again, it's a Friday afternoon, and it is pretty much the end of the week. Clap for yourself, everyone, because you did it. You have gotten to the end of the week. And you know, as I always say, you deserve a freaking drink. Don't know what you drink, whether it be water, alcohol, juice, soda. It don't matter at this point. If you're of age, you drink. You drink whatever you drink. Not encouraging anything, but I'm just saying. You you deserve a nice drink, a nice relaxation because you have made it to the end of the week at least at this time of the recording. So congratulations, everyone. But anyways, enough of that. We have so much to get into today with some sports and obviously the analyzing and the breaking down and all that good stuff. By the way, for all those keeping score at home, Deshaun Watson had his pressure today for the Browns. Um, he was talking about how he wants to clear his name. He understands that the allegations are serious and he, he never assaulted any woman and he never disrespected any woman. So there you have it right there. Uh, so we'll see what happens with the Browns and Deshaun Watson with more news coming out in regards to the whole situation. But he had his pressure today and now we're going to see exactly how this all plays out with the, the lawsuits and everything the team, the suspensions in the future. But it's just one step, one step towards what's going to happen in the future. So keep an eye out for that. But if you guys can remember, when we talked about the OT rules and the potential of changing the NFL OT rules, well, there are some more, more uh, options in regards to what can be changed for overtime in the NFL. And we always go back to what possibly could have happened if Josh Allen would have got the ball back in Arrowhead Stadium against Pat Mahomes and the Chiefs, maybe tied the game up, maybe not, maybe won the game, you never know, depending on what the OT rules are or what they would have been at that time, aside from the ones that we have already installed. But you just wonder, because that game was magical. Now, let's get into some OT options. I'm not going to go through what I think about it too much, but I'm going to give you guys a chance to write down in the comment section below what you think is the best fit for the NFL moving forward for the OT and overtime and for teams in general. You know, some of these we've already discussed, but some of these are actually pretty new. So the first one, where it discusses mandatory possession, uh, basically it would guarantee each team a possession in overtime, no matter what happened on the opening possession. If one team has a point advantage after the first two possessions, that team wins. If the scores remain tied, play would continue for up to 10 minutes with the next score winning. Okay, so it eliminates the one touchdown, win the game, uh, you know, that kind of rule. But also health, health issues. The longer the game is played, the longer these players have a chance to get injured, which is a big issue. And especially with a contact sport like football, yeah, we definitely don't want that at all. But if you're looking as in a way that it gives both teams chances to score and prove their worth in OT for 10 minutes, then it may be a good job. It may be a good option, but I'm not too sure about this. Let's move on. Uh, Mandatory possession unless two-point conversion on first score. So basically the same thing, but we add in a two-point conversion, and if that team scores on a two-point conversion, then they would win the game pretty much. So you can still score a touchdown. It wouldn't matter. Uh, you know, if the offensive team fails to convert on the two-point conversion, this idea was actually proposed by the Tennessee Titans, and they're funny because they know that they have an advantage 
with the run power game. Any team that has a run power game or a run power scheme with guys like Derrick Henry and Jonathan Taylor and, you know, all these complex teams, they will have the advantage because they can do things to get an easy two-point conversion. They can get creative. Some of these NFL teams can't do that. Some of the NFL offensive coordinators cannot do that at the moment. So it would be a huge advantage for those who are smart and complex with their offensive schemes, which is why I don't, th- I don't think this is a good idea anyway. Um, yes, there are going to always be better offensive coordinators than others, but at the same time, I think it's a bit leaning towards advantage for some of these other teams. Not really a big fan of it. Obviously, it reduces the op- the possibility of scoring a touchdown and winning the game, but still doesn't really address the whole idea of scoring a touchdown, you know, scoring first and winning, if that makes sense. Scoring a touchdown, yes, you score a TD. Now the defense has another opportunity to stop you. If they don't get the stop on the two-point conversion, then they lose the game pretty much. The offense still does not get to see the field. So it doesn't really solve the problem for me. Not a big thing that I would look forward uh, trying to uh, advocate for when it comes to this option. All right, spot and choose. Winner of OT, uh, coin toss, would make two decisions. One, uh, they would spot – okay, they would make – okay, this is what it said. Instead of choosing whether to kick off or receive – the coin toss winner would could make one of two decisions. Sorry, yeah, one of two decisions. It could decide where the ball would be spotted with the loser of the coin toss choosing whether to play offense or defense, or it could choose uh, to play offense or defense and allow the loser to spot the ball. Okay, so it's not that bad. If you want, if you win the coin toss, you can decide to spot the ball wherever you want. That's your decision. If it'd be at the 13th, 15th yard line, that's what it says here in this article, at least. Or I'm not sure how, what's the the range for where the team can spot the ball. Or if you want, if you feel confident, you can decide to choose whether or not you want to play defense or offense. Pretty much it. And the other team gets to decide on if you want to play defense or offense, well, you got to start at this part of the field to either score on us or defend us. It is what it is. Not that bad of a, a option here for me. Um, it lowers the impact of luck as a factor in determining the opening possession because uh, these the winner of OT, uh, what does it say here? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Lowers the, uh, the option of luck. But the issue is ties are not addressed in this option, and it also introduces an approach that isn't used at other points in the game. You know, and it will also favor some of these teams. Obviously, if 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 you decide to play offense or defense, you're choosing to play offense, and we decide to put the ball. I'm not sure the range of how they could spot the ball or how far they could spot the ball from the end zone. But if they decide to spot the ball at you know the 35 yard line, as opposed to the 15 yard line in their own territory, that's a big difference. You know, so you would be at a disadvantage despite you wanting to play offense and trying to score. And, you know, getting the game over with. So it's an option. It's better than the second one for me, but it's not that big of a deal for me. Not really a big fan. Uh, So we have another option here, full OT with no sudden death. Teams would play a fifth quarter, be 15 minutes or perhaps 10, and the team that is leading when the clock expires would win. Okay. Pretty much another quarter. Doesn't really address the whole entire thing. I guess, yeah, you stopped the idea of trying to win on the first possession. But... Once again, 
the injury concerns for me are not ideal at all in this case. You don't want these players to be out there longer than not. And it's one game a week. Despite it being one game a week, these players would be tired depending on how far they have to play into the OT. And yes, it's a full OT period as well, too. So there's no breaks. There's no we we score first or we score the last points and we win. You know, they're basically playing until the clock hits zero. Not that big a fan. Not that big a fan. Now, this right here is what I like to see. I would advocate for this immensely. A shootout. A shootout. All right. The, I'm sure it's going to be in the red zone, obviously. Um, generally, generally used in high school and college levels. Uh, you know, basically, uh, it could vary, uh, re- requiring either two point conversions. But in most scenarios, the sides alternate until one team has more points than the other at the end of the round. All right. So let's say we have five attempts. My offense against your defense, five attempts, and then we switch, do the same thing. Whoever has the most points wins. I like that because it gives the offense and defense multiple chances to succeed in the red zone. It'll determine how good or how great your red zone package is because that's the whole goal, right, to score points. Um, we could see exactly how creative you can get. I don't think it's too much of an, of an advantage for either side because you get to play defense five times, you get to score five times. That's one thing. It all comes down to your players and how great your players are and who can make the big moments and the big plays at that given time period. So I love this move at all. I really do. I think it's the best one. I think it's the best one, to be honest. But that's just me. All right. Another option is to eliminate the OT coin toss. Basically, uh, instead of holding a coin toss, the home team would get automatically uh, first possession as part of home field advantage. The remainder of OT would follow the current structure, a mandatory possession, unless the first drive ends in the touchdown. All right. So this option is basically favoring the home team. Not really my favorite kind of thing. Uh, I get it. It is home court advantage or home field advantage. So it makes a little bit more sense. Still does not address the whole idea of solving the first score end of the game uh, scenario, which I definitely want to see be uh, thrown away with. Like, that's the main thing. Here. That's the that's the main issue here. The first person or first team to score t- a TD wins the game. I don't want to see that. I don't. So just giving the home team possession, that wouldn't make sense to me at all at this point. It really wouldn't. Eliminate the clock and play on, which is the next option. The game would continue past the expiration of regulation. The team in possession of the ball when the clock hits zero would pick up an OT where it left off at the end of the fourth quarter if regulation ended with the team facing third and six from the 45-yard line, that's where overtime would begin. Mm, nah. Nah. No, There would be no clock. First score wins. First score wins once again. Nah. I, 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 I like the idea of starting a new quarter. I like the idea of, you know, finding a way to reset, get your, your game plans in order, and come back again. You know, in a drive, a team could have momentum, you know, and and it all, all it takes is them to have momentum on that drive to win the entire game. But if they're doing that within the fourth quarter and they don't get the touchdown, when it comes to OT, everything is equal. Everything is set. There is no momentum, you know. But carrying from that fourth quarter, the expiration of the fourth quarter to the overtime period wouldn't be doing justice for 
the team that is defending at least. I know I said I wouldn't give my take on this, but I actually ended up I actually ended up doing that. <laughs> uh, but it is what it is. I'm still gonna go with the shootout. I think that's the best option. You know, depending on how things go, yes, it could still be prolonged because if you look back at that Illinois and Penn State game, they went to nine overtime periods. Nine overtime periods, right? That was a long game. It was. Still, I think it's the best chance to minimize uh, injuries, minimize the 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 whole outlook of injuries, um, to give each team an equal opportunity, no coin toss. Maybe Quantas as in who goes first, at least, but that's not really a big advantage for me. Um, and give each team a fair opportunity to score and get the most points on the board to see who can win in like five possessions, maybe three for that matter, depending on how much the NFL wants to do this. I love it. I love that. So we'll see how that goes. But it is what it is. Now it's, it's going to continue on. Uh, we're going to see exactly what they come up with. I'm banking for the shootout, though. I'm banking for the shootout. Let's continue on with NFL report cards. This time we are going to the NFC East. We actually have two NFC uh, divisions to cover. I did not know that I was missing out on the NFC for that matter. <laughs> I'm not sure why. I still have the NFC North and the NFC East to to, to cover. So we're going to go to the NFC East. Um, we're going to start off with the New York Giants. New York Giants. All right. So what was the best win for the New York Giants for me? I think it was their first win, to be honest. Their first win of the season, the walk-off uh, touchdown, Saquon Barkley and OT against the Saints, who I thought were actually becoming a good team early on, and they just pretty much stooped back to earth with that loss to the New York Giants. That week, both teams, both New York teams got their first dub. Uh, Daniel Jones played pretty well, actually. 402 yards passing, two TDs, one interception, unfortunately. But 28 of 40 is not a bad shout. Saquon Barkley didn't do too much on the run it was pretty much average but he had one TD and also had the walk-off touchdown as well too Kenny Galladay came alive in that game too the big New York signing 116 yards six receptions is pretty damn good too they played a sloppy game right a sloppy game but they ended up coming back in that game I mean they were down 21 to 10 at one point and they had to come back had a touchdown drive you know we had a, a 54 yard uh, bomb to Saquon Barkley. All right. And, or yeah, yeah, at that passing yard right there. And that pretty much brought them back into the game. You came back, you tied the game up in, in the last possession of the old, uh, of the fourth quarter, at least, you know, the game went to OT and you get the ball first and you score first OT rules once again, but that was the best one for me. Now the worst loss, the worst loss for me, um, it's a toss up. Once again, but I'm going to have to go with the Bears. That loss right there, I know it's towards the end of the season. I know this team doesn't really have too much to play for. I suffer pride at this point. But, guys, let me say this. When you look at that loss, right, when you look at that loss, it looked like the Giants did not prepare at all in that game. Yes, you have Mike Glennon starting at QB. Yes, Saquon Barkley is not really produced up until that point in the season. They haven't really looked forward to anything, but that was a lackluster game, a lackluster game from the first play of the game, a fumble, first play of the game, a fumble, Mike Lennon sacked, touchdown, next possession, interception, touchdown, punt, 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 we get a field goal, but then we have a safety, 
and then a field goal, and then a touchdown. It was just too much. It was too much. You know, the Giants looked unprepared in that game. It was worse, the worst loss for me in the season, definitely that. And, you know, for for that game to have your leading receiver, Evan Ingram, for one reception, 12 yards, jeez, Louise, everything was three and out, three and out, three and out. That offense had no answers for that defense at all, and it made that defense, despite the Bears' defense looking actually pretty good, it wasn't that great for them to be doing that to the Giants. But once again, the Giants were lackluster. They're a terrible football team, terrible franchise anyway, so that's the reason why. Uh, but it was it was garbage, a garbage performance fight by then. It really was. Two observations for me. Um, definitely the QB position. Yeah, Daniel Jones injured for some time. And in actuality, this was by far to me probably the most steadiest and best performance I've seen Daniel Jones in a four-year scale than any of his other years, to be honest. Last year was terrible. The year before that, we had some promise, but it was still a couple of fumbles here and there. His third year, he took care of the football. He made some okay decisions, better than the past two years at least. And he played actually pretty well for me. He really did, but he got injured. He went to Mike Glennon. Didn't really work out, obviously. He's not the guy. Um, And then it was just a revolving door of QBs coming in and out of that Giants offense. Jake Fromm as well, too. Yeah, it wasn't the best at all. Uh, But this team, and it's going to go into uh, them underachieving this year, which is a big thing. And I noticed how much this team underachieved last year. I mean, seriously, this guy, Will, was raving. Oh, my goodness. This defense is going to be scary. James Bradbury, who was playing really well the past season. And this year he had a stunker, okay? James Bradbury, Logan Ryan, uh, you know, uh, Adoree Jackson. We had the safety, Xavier McKinney, all these guys. You know, the D-line. Yes, Blake Martinez is there. The D-line as well, Tulano Williams. Yeah, Aziz Ashlari, all these guys did not do a damn thing last year whatsoever. And I'm not going to put the whole blame on the defense because the offense was very, very, very lackluster. I mean, they underachieved a lot too last season. Daniel Jones, for me, was probably the more steadier performer aside from Ain Thomas, at least. He was probably the best offensive player for them last year, offensive lineman. But aside from Andrew Thomas, Daniel Jones was probably the more steadier player and they had letdowns from Kenny Galladay, who didn't score a TD until what? I don't know. I'm not even sure he, he scored a TD at this point. Saquon Barkley running on his last legs. He, I mean, he's still early on in his career, but it was tough for him coming back from the ACL injury. He was never the same. You know, the offense line as a whole looking terrible once again. The receiving core injury prone. Kadarius Toney um, had some flashes but couldn't stay on the field. Um, Darius Slayton as well, too, wasn't the best this season. Uh, Sterling Shepard, the same kind of thing. So much, so much underachievement. It really was. So it wasn't the defense entire fault, but yeah, it led to the firing of Joe Judge, the firing of the GM or the retirement of the GM, at least David Gutterman. Um, So it wasn't the best season for them. So they underachieved for me. I'll give them a, a C minus, a C minus me being kind as well, too. Uh, because I, I expected more from them, especially from what Will was talking about. Oh, we're going to be competing for the playoffs above average season, nine and eight. Yeah, all right. Slow for that. <laughs> Slow for that. Let's go to the Washington football team at the time, which is now the Washington Commanders. Best win of the season for me definitely has to come against the Giants. Now, I know it's against inferior composition, uh, uh, com- competition, competition, but 
at the time, the Giants were expected to be a, a good team. No week two win against them was not easy. Not easy. Taylor Heineke played his butt off that game. Threw for 336 yards, two TDs, one pick. He played his butt off. All right. He outplayed Daniel Jones too. Daniel Jones once again was playing steady in that game. Um, and Tarek Malone went off. He just tore apart James Radbert. He tore apart that man. All right. We also had the, the nice one play, or what was it one play or two play drive for a touchdown, <laughs> uh, throwing the ball up, and Ricky Seals Jones get the ball and he just catches it for a touchdown. That was a great play by him. It was a wild atmosphere. And they went off of a field goal that gets called back because of what was it, a penalty on the Giants. I forget what it was. Uh, something to do with the center, I believe, uh, offsides or whatever. And Dustin Hopkins gets another crack at it after missing the field goal and gets the game sent and done. Nice win for them. Now, the worst loss for me definitely had to come against uh, the Bills. Yeah, the Bills, that was a terrible loss. It really was. All right. Terrible, terrible loss. Just kidding. That was tied for the Bills. The worst loss was the Cowboys. I mean, how could you let this Cowboys team do that to you? 56 points. Listen, anytime you lose an NFL game and you let the team score 50 points plus, it's the worst loss of the season. I'm sorry. It is. The Jets did it against the Patriots. The Jaguars did it against the Patriots. The Washington football team did it against the Cowboys. Your division rivals, too, at that? You cannot happen. You cannot let that happen at all. That was terrible. Dak Prescott, four TDs, 330 yards passing. They did pretty much everything. I mean, from the the, the, the offense just going crazy. We had the Demarcus Lawrence, 40-yard tip interception. This guy was rumbling downfield, 21-0 early on, and it, for, it became 42-7 later on in the game, and it became 56-14 later on in the game. Terrible, terrible. Two picks thrown by Taylor Heineke, had no running game. The receiving game obviously wasn't there because they kept on turning the ball over. Like, to have a game in which you turn the ball over two times, that's one thing. But turn the ball over two times and not do anything on offense as well, too, in terms of, like, sustaining drives, how do you expect to win the game? Or in this case, how do you expect the game to be close? It was by far, it was never close. From the start of the snap, of the first snap to the end of the, the last snap, it was never close. Terrible. Terrible for me. Uh, when you look at this team, I would definitely say they underachieved once again. Um, yeah, Taylor Heineke, I expected more from him. I expected more from this D-line, the defense in total. Didn't really live up to the expectations that they did last year. Yes, they had some injuries on the defense, which I will give them credit to. But overall, they struggled a lot, a lot. And when you look at what they did this, the year before, yeah, you could say they probably overachieved in that year. But when you have that season – you're expected to do much better when you add more pieces to the team. And for me, they had a stunker. They had a stinker. I had a stunker. They had a stinker. Whatever the case may be. It was not the best year for them. For the Giants, I'll go C minus. Like I said, for the Commanders, I'll go C plus. C plus. Definitely. I mean, there was seven to ten, which is not terrible, but I was expecting a little bit more. I- I'll give them a C plus. Uh, let's go to Dallas. Dallas for me, once again, 12 and 5. Division, I call it the division winners. I definitely call it this right here. Um, the biggest win for me, uh, for them came against that Patriots game. It, that to me was probably the, the hardest game they played the all season long. It really was. All right. And I know we could say that they we can make an argument for the Cowboys without Dak Prescott going into Minnesota with 
you know, uh, Cooper Rush. And that is one of the more toughest places to play in the NFL for me, at least Minnesota. Going into their their territory with Cooper Rush as a QB and winning that game, that was a tough game to win, you know, and Minnesota was healthy at, at that point too. But still, um, the Patriots game, that was the hardest team for me on this schedule, and they showed out. You know, winning the game at OT, the walk-off touchdown by CeeDee Lamb was great. Dak Prescott played his butt off. Um, he had a pick six by uh, big play, <laughs> big play, Trayvon Diggs. He also gave up, uh, it wasn't really his fault though, but they also gave up a, a quick, a quick score, 75 yard touchdown to Bourne after that pick six, which is terrible to have. A very, very, very wacky game, I might say. But the offense looked pretty unstoppable in that game, considering the opposition they were playing. Wingless defense at the time was a very good defense, still in the, the middle point of its ascension or their ascension, and they were playing some good sound football. So to go into New England and win that game, despite them having some good performances by Mac Jones, um, a good rushing game, and having pretty much a coach in Bill Belichick to overcome, that says a lot for the Cowboys. So I'll give them that. I'll give them that for real. You know, the worst loss has to be against the Broncos. Has to be. Has to be. I mean, seriously. Um, It was tied for me between the Broncos and the Chiefs, considering that, you know, this was the big chance to kind of dethrone a good team who has been struggling, and they didn't do that against the Chiefs. But the Broncos, for me, caught me off guard. It really did. Um, It it really did. I I couldn't believe it, how they just came in there and shut down that whole Dallas offense. Dallas did not score a point until the fourth quarter, guys, the fourth quarter. It was crazy indeed. They pitched a shutout. It was 30 to nothing at one point, and they had no answer. Dak Prescott looked probably the most worried in the pocket he's looked in that whole entire season. It was terrible. Um, they couldn't get anything going on offense. Broncos stopped them well short of the sticks. Um, and, you know, for the defense, yeah, the defense couldn't stop the running game. And they got burned a couple of times. Tim Patrick burned them for a touchdown. Yeah, it was not the best showing at all. Um, but for their whole entire season, I'll definitely say realistic. They definitely uh, met the expectations that I was expecting for this team. I'll give them a B plus because they ended up having a shocker performance to me against the Niners in which I thought they were the better team. And I thought this was another chance. You know, you blew one chance to beat the Cardinals at one point in the season. Didn't do that at home. And they had another chance in the playoffs to beat the Niners. Couldn't do that. I was very disappointed with that performance. But for the whole entire season, 12-5, and that's not too bad for me. B+. Last but not least, we have the Eagles. Eagles, a playoff team in a rebuilding season. Now, this right here, I'm going to say right now, is an overachieving season a season where this team is expected to be be rebuilding and they did the business led by Jalen Hurts, who is a baller, that running game baller, you know, making some plays here and there in the offense, in the offensive passing game, Devontae Smith, baller. All right. I loved it. I loved it. Best win of the season for me um, has to come against, eh, it it was a tough one, but I'm going to give it to them playing the Saints. Yes, yes, I know it's the Saints. The time the Saints had Trevor Simeon there. But to be fair, the Saints for me were playing some okay football. And I thought that Trevor Simeon would keep them afloat, right? And going into this week, I was thinking to myself, the Saints are going to win this game. They are because the way they looked against the Falcons, despite the Falcons not being a better team than the Eagles anyway, but the way they looked against the Falcons in Trevor Simeon's first game, I believe, up until that point, uh, they are going to come in and beat, beat a lackluster Eagles team. Eagles tore them apart. 
Eagles tore them apart. I mean, seriously, tore them apart. All right. Jalen Hurts did his thing on the ground game and their passing game as well, too. Wasn't the best in the passing game, but still, you know, he ran for three scores. Miles Sanders could not be stopped. They had no answer for their the the power running game. And the pick six late in this in the first half was terrible. 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 Darius Slay pick six return. And that that point was 27 to 70. You know, they, they never looked back. Never looked back. You know, so that was a great performance by them. Worst loss for me. And it's funny because every time I say the worst loss, it always comes against the Giants. It really does. Worst loss came against the Giants. Now, you follow up that great win with a terrible, terrible loss. Terrible loss. Terrible. I cannot believe it. Seriously, you're scoring seven points against the Giants? Really? Jalen Hurts, three picks. Terrible three picks. I mean, seriously, I think two of them were in the red zone. Terrible. Or at least two of them were at points where they were driving and they were close to field goal range or in field goal range. And he throws these two picks. Didn't know what he was doing. One of them was at the end of the half. They could have gotten points, but they didn't do that. And he throws a pick. Instead of throwing the ball out of bounds, he throws a pick. He forces the ball. And I'm not sure what is going on. I mean, seriously, that was garbage performance by them it really was and at the end of the game when they're driving they need a touchdown to win the game fumble by oh my goodness a fumble uh by Bart scott you know that was a crucial moment giants obviously didn't do anything with that ball they punt the ball eagles turn the ball over on downs because they have a receiver once again eagles fans look away look away a receiver in Jalen Rager, who I feel bad for sometimes because they always want to compare him to Justin Jefferson and what the Eagles could have had as opposed to Jalen Rager. But he, you know, despite the comparisons, Rager's got to play. He's got to play, man. And he, he did not play great that game at all. He played terribly in that game. Two drop passes that could have pretty much put them either in winning positions or pretty much won them the game at that point. And he dropped them right in his hands. Couldn't haul it in. It was, it was sad to watch. It really was. But it is what it is. Um, two observations that I saw from this Eagles team last year. The running game was spectacular. I even made a case that without Jalen Hurts, this team could have been top 10 rushing easily because they had probably top five easily the best offensive linemen in the game. And I just loved the way they were able to say, you know what, we're going to just focus on running the football. Like we knew coming into the season that – we're going to have to rely heavily on running the football anyway. But now that we don't really rely on the arm of Jalen Hurts, we're going to solely rely on running the football and being a power one team first. And at that point, they're one of the hottest teams in the NFL when it came to running the football. That's what they were. That was the whole identity, beating teams in the trenches. And they did just that. You know, I loved it for them. Um, and two, Jalen Hurts is a baller, man. Jalen Hurts is a baller, seriously. Uh, he, he knew what he was. He won games for them. He was a, a QB who just took over games by the way of his play style, just balling out, running, uh, making plays with his legs, throwing the ball when he needed to. Um, wasn't the best passer, obviously, last year. That's just not what it was. But he still took the game into his hands, you know, being Superman for that team sometimes. So I'll give him credit for that. But he balled out last year. He balled out. Um, also, Going back to the Cowboys and where I did not give my two observations for them, at least at this point. I'm not sure why. And the Washington football team. 
Oh, actually, I did for the Washington football team. Yeah, I did. I did. Yeah, it was the the defense. No, that was for the Giants. That was for the Giants. Yeah, yeah. I'll go back to the, the Cowboys and the Washington football team. So, Cowboys. Two observations I saw. The downfall of Ezekiel Elliott was crazy to see. For weeks, we have called out for Tony Pollard to get more stats because Ezekiel Elliott was not that guy anymore. He wasn't. He was not that guy. You know, and it was it's, it's easy to say that, that that Prescott wasn't that guy because of how he would disappear in games sometimes too. But for the most part, he did his job. Ezekiel Elliott was not that guy. And I'm not sure, I'm not sure what it was. Um, you can see the difference in change of pace and explosiveness between him and Tony Pollard, which caused them to, you know, have a rift between who should get the most snaps in the game. At some point, they gave the more snaps to Tony Pollard, but it took longer in doing that. I'm not sure why, because I get being behind your lead back and you give him a chance to at least establish himself himself or reestablish himself to the lead back and being the number one option for the running game in that offense. But at some point, it wasn't working anymore. And they still were leading uh, on with him and they still were wasting time. So it is what it is. But that defense, though, second point was it was a defense really, really, really improved from the year before. I mean, seriously, that defense last year was touching historic troublesome numbers. And that defense did his job. Trevon Diggs, yes, he is not a shutdown corner. He did give up a lot of yards in scrimmage, you know, last season. But still, he had a lot of picks to go along with it. He made some big plays, pick sixes here and there. That defense line was okay, solid enough. And by the way, they were one of the better teams in the NFL on third down. So that's one of the more crucial stages of the game where you need to stop and get off the field. So it is what it is. Um, for the Washington football team, I got to say, uh, the defense obviously is a big point. Just the idea of the injuries, not in having a, your leader not be there, Chase Young not be there enough. Uh, and, you know, just the whole idea of the defense underperforming once again. When it comes to the, the Giants and the Washington football team, they under, underperformed heavily when it came to the defensive expectations that they were supposed to have this season. Uh, but for the offense, I mean, seriously, could not get too much going on. It was very lackluster. Sometimes I, I'm not even sure how they scored points. Taylor Heineke, yes, he's a baller, uh, but it became a time where they had no other options aside from Terry McLaurin. They had no other receiving options, no help. And the running game was lackluster. I mean, we talked about Antonio Gibson and what he did the year before or the years before. He was nowhere to be found this year. Seriously, nowhere to be found. And I I just want to say that, yes, I have defended him in the past in regards to him being, you know, okay. He had a thousand yards, which is okay. But, you know, for me, I thought he could have done a a little bit better. He had five fumbles, which was a big issue. Five fumbles and three loss. You know, so I'm not going to say he didn't have a productive season. He kind of did. But I was expecting a little bit more from him. Just just a little bit more. Just a little bit more, you know. And he barely got a 1,000 yards. Barely got a 1,000 yards, too. But it is what it is, though. He still had an okay season. You know, those are the two things for me. And going back to the Eagles, yes, I'm going to say they overachieved a lot. Yeah, definitely overachieved. And, you know, they get a – for me, they get a B plus for the for the whole entire season. This, by the way, guys, was supposed to be a rebuilding season. They turned that into a playoff season behind Jalen Hurts. The behind that whole uh the whole idea of the offensive scheme and the whole identity of the scheme and everything, 
that was great to see. It was great to see. It really was. The defense made a couple of plays here and there at some points. Uh, but I love the whole outlook of the Eagles. They did their job, you know, and under that whole regime, under that whole uh, organization, you know, it's looking good. It's looking good. Nick Sirianni, I love what I like what he's doing for the Eagles right now. He he went into a style that helped them to win football games, and it worked out. So good for them. Good for them. All right, guys. When we come back, we're gonna dive into some more Bradley Bill talk again. Yes, again, it's gonna happen one more time, at least for the foreseeable future, with Bradley Bill and the Wizards. Some more NBA score lines and some March Madness talk because what I saw last night was crazy. Stay tuned. Enjoy the commercials. Hey guys, it's me, Christy Love. And if you want to stay up to date on all Chicago sports, like the Bears, Justin Fields took it upon himself to tally our team back and score 23 points in the fourth quarter. He just showed America that he's a star and everybody was saying it. The Bulls. This has been the best team we had since Jordan or the hottest topics in sports as a whole, tune in to File on the Play, hosted by yours truly, and brought to you by Nuts and Bolts Sports. Hello, this is Greg Rector, and this is Greg's Gripes, my podcast. And my podcast focuses in on things in the world of sports that do tend to bother me, and that's why I have my gripes. And I'm also the, one of the senior writers at NutsAndBoltSports.com. I cover the Dallas Cowboys with Cowboys Corner. I also write about the Toronto Raptors, the Toronto Blue Jays, various other things in the world of sports. And as I said, this is my area of the podcast world where I get to do some griping. What's up, guys? Ryan Cooley here. Just wanted to let you know if you're a huge football fan or fan of the NFL, be sure to check out my podcast, Cooley's Controversial Takes, on the Nuts and Bolts Sports Podcast Network, Spotify, iTunes, and Podbean. Every episode, I do a quick little recap of each game that was played during that week. Uh, at the end of the episode, I'll make my weekly picks who I think will win. And in the middle of the episodes, I'll be going over a lot of Washington football, uh, going to a deeper dive of their game or moves that they've made. And I also go over any big headlines that occurred during that week in football. So if you're interested in that, be sure to check out my podcast. Once again, it's Cooley's Controversial Takes on the Nuts and Bolts Sports Podcast Network, Spotify, iTunes, and Podbeans. Yes, sir. It's Game Breakers here, the number one sports podcast in the world. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Available on all podcast platforms, dropping new episodes every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. Listen, if you're not tuning into Game Breakers, what are you really doing with your life? Seriously. Bradley Beal. Right? Bradley Beal, once again, is in the headlines with in regards to him and the potential free agency and the opting out. But at least for right now, he is still committed to Washington. In his podcast, or while joining his podcast, Jim Green's podcast, he talked, he talked about the idea of staying in Washington and trying to win once again and building a winning environment in Washington. And he quotes, I have to have that understanding with Washington that we are in pursuit of winning. That is my destination and goal. The money is awesome, but that also comes with when you make that money, you want to win ball games. You want to be able to play for something, right? I want to play meaningful games, right? I want to be playing in late June. That's what I want. He also went on to say that it's possible for teams to do it, and it's possible to go out on those runs, and not all those teams have two, three, four all-stars 
Uh, they develop their guys. They're putting the pieces together. So it's a possibility. And it, it's, I mean, shoot me if you want, but that's my mindset. Like, I have that mindset. I want to do it here. But there also comes a point, Dre, that you also have that it becomes a, uh, a business. Also becomes a point, Dre, that you also know, sorry, you also know that it becomes a business. And if you feel like the stars aren't aligned with that, then everyone's, everybody's going to do what's best for them regardless of what the money is. All right. A lot of typos for me, but it is what it is. Sorry, guys. Anyways, so this whole idea, once again, the whole concept, this whole event of Bradley Bill wanting to stay in Washington, you know, um, it's going in the circles for me. It really is because he wants to stay in Washington, which is definitely his choice. He can do whatever he wants at this point. It doesn't really matter to me. But I just don't believe in the capabilities of Washington to put pieces around Bradley Bill to succeed, especially, especially now that the East is much more tougher than it was a year ago and the season before. I mean, we have about five to six possibly dominant teams in the East with really no team separating each itself from being the best team in the East. Miami Heat, Brooklyn Nets, Milwaukee Bucks, 76ers, Boston Celtics now, and the Chicago Bulls. I can even throw in the Cavaliers, but the Cavaliers, have they've dropped off a little bit more in recent weeks. But still, they're a good team, you know? So this whole idea of Bradley Bill wanting to stay in Washington again, eh, I don't really see how they do it. I really don't. You look at the pieces that, that they've given up, uh, that they give up uh, in the past with the trade, especially Dinwiddie. You know, he was a, a crucial part of the offense. Hasn't really worked out there, but it's not working out in Dallas, at least for the moment. You know, you get Chris Stapps plus Ingers. Eh, not really too keen on that move, if I'm being honest. Um, you give up uh, Davis Bertans, another 3 and D kind of player. It is what it is. He's gone. You know, Kakuzma's balling, which is a plus. But you also give up Montrez Harrell, too, as well. He's a nice bench option. So many pieces gone, and you're not bringing in talent that I'm really confident in saying that they could build around these pieces with. I'm not too sure exactly how it gets done. I really don't. I think his best option is to just leave this offseason. Opt out, leave, do a sign and trade with a team that is willing to give up the pieces to get you and compete for a championship. He's going to get paid regardless, whether it be Washington or another team that wants to pay him with a sign and trade. But if he wants to win, winning in Washington is not ideal for me. And that is also with these six, seven teams that I I just mentioned before having some good seasons. That is also with the Hawks struggling, you know, with the Toronto Raptors playing some good basketball, but not quite there yet. Right. That is also with the likes of the Charlotte Hornets and them still being a little bit younger. The the Pacers having a nice young squad is going to develop in a couple of years. So I don't really see how, Washington builds a contender for Bradley Bill. I don't. I can't see it at all. If they do it, then so be it. But Bradley Bill is becoming another Damian Lillard once again. You know, like, and even that organization is making more moves, in my opinion, in trying to help Damian Lillard and building a championship team. It's not really happening right now, but they have some nice pieces. I like Josh Hart. I like Anthony Simons. You, you know, I like those two players a lot. And I think that they could possibly make a couple of more pieces like they said they are 
to see how this team can form in the future in hopes of competing for a title. Because the West for me is wide open. It really is. It's not wide open in a sense. Obviously, there's going to be the dominant teams, the Phoenix Suns, the Memphis Grizzlies, the Warriors, Utah Jazz. But other than those two, four, other than those four teams, I think they can make cases for themselves if they do things right. You know, obviously, this is not also with the likes of Paul George and Kawhi Leonard and Jamal Murray and Michael Porter Jr. for the the Nuggets and the Clippers. But you know, I'm not sure exactly how much the Lakers will struggle next season either way. But still, it's possible. But it's much more easier for me to see them winning before I see the Wizards winning. And I was wrong. I was wrong once again. I mean, I I I, I called the Wizards being a top five team. I was wrong with that. But also, in my defense, Bradley Bill was lost for the season. They traded away their their uh key players. But also, not in my defense, they were losing pretty bad up until that point anyway. So it didn't really matter. You know, <laughs> it is what it is. But let's see what happens in the future, guys. At least for the right now moment for the foreseeable future. Rally Bill is still committing to the Washington Wizards. Jeez. If I was if I were him, I don't know. I might be thinking a little bit different right now. Anyways, March Madness. I mean, seriously. So last night was a banger. Last night was a banger. We saw two number one seeded teams go out. I called Gonzaga to be Arkansas. They lost. They lost. Okay. Arkansas pretty much took them apart. We didn't really take them apart, but, you know, they had a great game. I'm not going to go into the specifics of each game, obviously, but just to briefly talk about the game, I mean, I I was not expecting it at all. I really wasn't. That was a great performance by them. It really was a great performance. I did not see this coming at all. Uh, I definitely did call Villanova to beat Michigan. That happened. Villanova pretty much controlled the entire game um, from start to finish. A well-controlled game. You know, it is what it is for them. Uh, Dewan Howard and his team is not out, unfortunately, but a nice run, though. A very nice run, you know, to the Sweet 16, at least. Uh, I was so close, so close with Texas Tech and Duke. So close. Coach K is still alive. So close. I called Texas Tech to win this. So right now, I am one of one for three. Yeah, one for three. About to be one for four, <laughs> at least for the last night's games. So close. Duke made a couple of clutch buckets late in the game, seven to oh run. And they stay on top, and they win the entire game. You know, that defense that Texas Tech boasted, I thought they would do a little bit better, and they did play pretty well throughout the entire game. But the clutch buckets in the end, man, clutch buckets in the end just set it all for them. You know, big-time players make big-time players, and that's what happened. And last but not least, Houston. Now, this is a game where they controlled the entire game, the entire matchup from start to finish. Led at halftime, led in the the second period of the, the game. I love it. I love it. You know, Arizona for me, very surprising a little bit. Uh, but Houston is a really good team. They really are. So I'm not really too surprised uh, at this result. Uh, that was a good performance by them. They are now into the Elite Eight. I love it. Now, going back into tonight's matchups, like I said, I would go over them really quickly. Um, St. Peter's and Purdue, both prediction. But I'm going with St. Peter's. I think Kansas is frauds, or they are frauds, so I'm not going with them. I'm going to go with Providence, North Carolina, UCLA. I'm going with the Bruins. And last but not least, Miami and Iowa State. I think Miami continues its run, its glorious run. I'm going with Miami. So there you have it, but I still could be wrong. Usually I am wrong, but last night was an off night for me. I'm sorry just to say that. <laughs> it is what it is. Uh, but let's move on. NBA scorelines and predictions. Last night's games. We had only five games last night. 
We had the Cavs and the Raptors. I called the Cavs to lose this game. I was definitely right. Raptors beat them 117 to 104. We had good games from Pascal Siakam. Could not be stopped. 35 points. We had 14 points from Ananobi. Uh, we had 11 from Scott Barnes and 10 from Fred Van Vliet. And off the bench, 17 from Chris Boucher, who played a really good role last night. Uh, for the Cavs, 20 points from Larry Markkinen, 18 from Darius Garland, 11 from Evan Mobley, and 12 from Kevin Love, 16 off the bench from Lamar Stevens. It was not enough, but still, this was a battle of these two teams uh, battling for that 6-7 and seven seed. And right now, they are tied. They are tied on record 41-32, and 32, so we'll see what happens. But the Cavs, who I thought could have sneaked into that fourth spot, that fifth spot, are not dropping into the playing game. Now, I imagine if they have to play the Brooklyn Nets in the first playing game, damn. Damn, damn, damn. That might not work out. It is what it is, though. It is what it is. All right. Um, so the Grizzlies win at home. Blowout win. Once again, I call that win 133-103 to against the Pacers. We had a great game, a great game from Desmond Bain. Once again, 30 points. 30 points, man. This guy, Desmond Bain, is, is he's balling out. He is balling out. 20 points from Jaron Jackson Jr. Can't forget about my guy. And we had 18, 19, and 16 off the bench for Conchar, DeAnthony Melton, and Xavier Tillman. X Tillman. That's my guy, the center. Backup center. He does a good job, too, as well. For the Pacers, 14 from uh, uh, keep on Goga. I'm just say Goga, Goga, Batazde, Batazde, yes, Batazde. That's how you say it. Ah, I can't believe I was saying it wrong the whole time. Batazde, 13 from Brissett, 11 from Buddy Hill, 25 off the bench from Lance Stevenson, and 17 off the bench from Taylor Terry Taylor. All right, for the Bucks, Bucks without Giannis, without Chris Middleton, defeat this team, and they were blowing them out for a, a pretty much a, a big portion of the game, led by 24 points. Drew Holiday, 10 assists, 21 from Grayson Allen, 13 from Brooke Lopez, 11 from Bobby Portis, and off the bench, 16 from Pat Connaughton. Now, the Wizards, who are pretty much done for the playing game or for contention, they had 16 from KCEP, shot terribly, though. 16 from Porzingis, he shot up pretty good, actually, nine rebounds. 10 points from Rui Hachimura, um, no Kyle Kuzma, obviously. 17 points off the bench from Ish Smith, and 12 from Denny Avdija. Or Denny Avdia. Yeah. Um, Bulls and Pelicans. Now, I definitely did not call this. Pelicans blow out the Bulls at home. 126 to 109. Wow. 30 points from Devontae Graham. 25 from CJ McCollum. Wow. 16 from Valachunas and 19 boards. I mean, Vucevic had no answer for him. 19 boards. Damn. 15 off the bench from Jose Alvarado. That's my guy. Seven assists, too. That is my guy. He fills in his role pretty damn well. All right. For the Bulls, 20, oh, 39 points, sorry, for Zach Levine. He went off that game. 11 from Alice Caruso, uh, 16 from Vucevic, and pretty much, you know, no DeMar DeRozan, no Lonzo Ball, obviously. It's tough. Uh, it's a tough. It's really, it really is tough. 23 off the bench from Kobe White, though. That's about it. Uh, last but not least, the Suns and the Nuggets. 140 win for the Suns to 130 loss for the Nuggets. I called the Nuggets to win this game. I was wrong. We had 12 points from Jay Crowder, not too bad, six rebounds, 22 points from Mikel Bridges, uh, 16 from DeAndre Ayton, 17 from Chris Paul. Welcome back, Chris Paul. 17 and 13 in your return? That's pretty damn good. Welcome freaking back. And 49 points and 10 assists from Devin Booker. Wow. Nine points off the bench from Cameron Payne. That was a great performance by them. 
But for the Nuggets, every starter in double figures didn't matter. 21 points from Aaron Gordon, 6 rebounds, 11 points from Jeff Green, 17 points from Will Barton. We had 28 points from Nikola Jokic, you know, 6-6, six and six, and 15 points from Monte Morris. Uh, it wasn't enough, obviously, and 23 points off the bench from Bones Highland. Uh, 10 off the bench also by uh, the Marcus Cousins, Boogie Cousins, who has been playing well. All right, let's get into our predictions for tonight's matchups, Knicks and Heat. Now, I, I know I always pick my Heat to win the games, and I have good reasons because we are, we're playing some good basketball, but I'm going to pick my Heat again because we're not playing good basketball, but we're playing a team that's not really playing good basketball either in the Knicks. In the past couple of games, we've had the Knicks number. I'm not sure the last time they beat us, especially at home either way, so I'm going with the Heat. A bounce back win for us. The Jazz and Hornets give me the Jazz. Hornet Jazz had a blowout loss against the Celtics, but I get I get them to bounce back. Yeah, I'm gonna give them the bounce back. Wizards and Pistons. Give me the Pistons for this one. Actually, give me the Pistons. Warriors and Hawks. Hmm. Give me the Warriors. Mavericks and Tims. Timberwolves. Eh, give me the Mavericks on this one. Actually, Rockets and Blazers. Give me the Blazers and. Clippers and 76ers give me the 76ers. And that rounds out the matchups for tonight. Let me do actually let me do the weekend too for you guys. Let me do a special weekend for you guys. All right. Nets and Heat. I'm gonna go Nets on this one. I think we don't beat them this time because they are catching us at a bad time. So I don't really see a, a result for us. Spurs and Pelicans give me the Pelicans. Kings and Magic, I'll go Kings. Pacers and Raptors, I'll go Raptors. Bulls and Cavaliers, I'll definitely go Bulls for this one. Actually, no. If, yeah, I, I'll, I'll go Cavs. I, I'll switch. I'll go Cavs. I'll, I'll switch that. Bucks and Grizzlies. Hmm. Grizzlies at home, I'll go Grizz. Thunder and Nuggets, give me the Nuggets. Rockets and Trailblazers, give me the Blazers. And Sunday's matchups for you guys. Lakers and Pelicans, give me the Lakers for this one. Knicks and Pistons, give me eh, the Knicks. Tims and Celtics, I got to go with the Celtics again. I have to. Warriors and Wizards, give me the Warriors. Suns and 76ers, I like the 76ers, but I'm going with the Suns here. Hornets and Nets, mm, give me the Nets. And last but not least, the Jazz and Mavericks, give me the Mavericks for this one. And there you have it, guys. Be sure to check in and see if I was right with my predictions. I usually am, but that's just me. All right, what a great performance by myself. I'm not, I'm not a performer. I'm an analyst. I'm just joking. But what a great episode once again. Uh, guys, be sure to check out Game Breakers once again, dropping Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. The supposedly drop dates, but you know me, we can do it spontaneously on Thursdays and t- Tuesdays and a Saturday, maybe even a Sunday for that matter. You never know. Just be out on the lookout, all right? But anyways, support MBS, support everyone here. Big up the mandem. It's your boy Edwin. I am out. Peace out, everyone. Have a great weekend.